Do we have a reader? Do we have a reader? Sean. Oh, no. Are you reading, Sean? No? You will? I can't remember what it was. We'll just start. Because we'll be in Joshua. <clears throat> now, if somebody starts walking up here pretty soon, I'll sit down. <clears throat> Excuse me. My goodness. If I don't get all choked up. Got all excited thinking Sean was going to read for us, and he's, he's not. Um, you know, when we have uh, events like yesterday happen, <clears throat> excuse me, it's one thing to hear about it happening somewhere far away. It sure makes it different whenever we can uh, listen to places that are familiar to us and then have people we know who are in the middle of it. And when you hear and know somebody who is laying out on the ground in that field outside of Synergy, when you know people who worked in some of the places affected, who were driving in that area at the time, it sure puts a different light to what goes on in this world. I don't know what will be, but I know in all things that we can still trust our God no matter what this world may become. Let's let's begin with our prayer this morning before we get into our study. Our Father and our God, we, we need you. We desperately need you. And we know, Father, that you are faithful, that you are here, and that you are providing what we need in every moment. And you know, Father, that our hearts break at such news when we hear of the loss of life, those who have been injured, a tragedy that seems so senseless. Father, we, we know that in this world, that evil, the cruelty, the senselessness prevails. We ask, Father, that you will give comfort to those families who are today grieving the loss of a loved one. We ask, Father, that you'll be with all of those that have been injured, that you will provide the healing that they need. We ask, Father, that you'll provide strength to them and to those who love them. And we ask, Father, that you will provide help for everyone's hearts are broken. Please, Father, help us to not live in fear but trusting you. Help us, Father, to be the people you want us to be. No matter what darkness is seen in this world. And help us, Father, to be a light. To be an avenue for, for your saving grace through Jesus. We know, Father, 
that our only hope is you. And help us to hold on to you in all things. For it's through Jesus that we pray. Amen. In Ruth chapter 1, I did say we were going to be in Joshua, didn't I? In Ruth chapter 1, Naomi is headed back home. A widow who's also lost both her sons and her daughters-in-law are walking with her. She tells them, you just go back home. Go back to your father's home. There's nothing I can provide for you. Which is true in more ways than just the sense of providing a husband. Because what can a widow do to provide for anyone? And in actuality, there are three widows on that road, aren't there? And they say no, they hold on to her and they cry. They don't want to leave her. They love her. And she says, no, no, you need to head on back home. And Orpah heads home. But Ruth says, I will never leave you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And when Naomi realizes there's no way she's going to dissuade her, she gives up. And Ruth makes a commitment to her mother-in-law. And you watch as she keeps that promise to her. She says, I will always be there for her. And she goes out to find food to feed them. And she, she does whatever's needed to provide for Naomi. And I assume, even though the book ends with joy because of a baby born, that Ruth kept that promise for a lifetime. When you think about in your life... Who is it that is like Ruth to you? Someone that has made a promise and has kept it. Someone who has been by your side no matter what. Someone who will always be there. I know that no matter what this world does, there is one who is always faithful to his promises. And in Joshua chapter 1, we get to see that. Highlighted in in life. Because in Joshua 1, we find the people of Israel, led by Joshua, standing across the Jordan River, looking over at the land that God had promised them. God made a promise. Then this is what this really boils down to. This isn't, we like that land over there, that's where we want to live. This is God promised. God promised them. God promised Abraham. And in that promise, as as God lays that out for them, here now God says, look, be strong and courageous because talking to Joshua, I will, you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. God is keeping his promise. He says, I promised and I'm going to keep my word. You remember back in Genesis chapter 12, this is where it starts. God tells Abram, I want you to leave home. And I'm going to take you to a land that I'm going to show you. And then later on in that chapter, he says, to your offspring, I will give this land. And Abraham believed him. And God keeps his promise, a land filled with milk and honey. 
a good land. Now, when you think about the promises that God makes, for the people of Israel, life for them was centered on what God had said, was centered on what God had promised to grab a hold of it and say, this is what God said. When we live our lives, how often do we do that? Grab a hold of what God said and let it guide our whole lives. Because God has promised, hasn't he? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do we trust him to keep that promise? First John chapter 5, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Later on in that chapter, he says, you know, I've written this so you can know that you have eternal life. I mean, do we believe that God keeps his promise in Jesus? We know, Romans eight twenty eight. we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know that God is at work. Do we believe it? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do we believe God's promise? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, God is faithful. That keeps coming up, doesn't it? God is faithful. He keeps his promises. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. You know what he says there? He says temptations will come. You will be tempted. But God has provided for you so that you don't have to fall into that temptation and sin. Do we believe that? That he'll keep that promise? You know, isn't it amazing the things that God promises us? That he says, this is what will be. And we can hold on to that and say, this is what I know is because God said. And when you look, when you think about that, last time Israel stood where they're standing now. The last time they were looking over the promised land, what happened? They sent 10 spies over. And those, when they spent 12 spies, sorry. They spent, spent. Now I get all my number off and I can't speak English anymore. They sent 12 spies over to check out the land and find out what it was like and get an idea of of the people and all this going on. And when they come back, 10 of those spies, what do they say? They come back and say, you know, it's a great land, but, but, but the, the cities are strong. The walls are high. There's just no way we're going to be able to take them. The giants are in the land. Oh, there is no way we're going to be able to handle this. They pointed out all the reasons they couldn't overcome. Here they are, Numbers 13. The people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We saw, even saw the descendants of Anak there, the giants. There is no way we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. He says, there's no way, there's no way we can take this land. And when you think about that and all that goes on, they, they focused on, but God promised this land to us, but the cities are too strong, but the people are too strong, but look at what, there's no way we can't do this. We're too small. We're too weak. There's no way that we can take this land. Now there's some truth in that statement, isn't there? There's no that way that we can take this land. What they'd forgotten was it wasn't about them. And now whenever we find that that, uh, they're on this side again, 
It's interesting that God is almost reminding them. Now, I know last time you chickened out. So he tells Joshua over and over again, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land. Be strong and very courageous. Over and over again, he tells them, verse 9, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. He, he does lay out and say it's going to be hard. It's going to be a challenge. But they will inherit the land that God will keep his promise and that they'll be able to trust him. Now, when we look at all that goes on in our lives, God promised. But how many of us wrestle with that and start to say, but... God promised that in Christ we find forgiveness. But if you knew how how terrible I've been in my life, the sins I've committed, oh, there's just no way God could forgive me. God promised if you're tempted, there's a way out. Well, but I just, I can't, I can't handle that. It's just too hard. There's no way I could, I could get out of that. Over and over again, but God, and, and we get overcome, and we just, we point out all the exceptions why there's no way what God said applies to our lives. There's no way this is going to happen, because everything out there is just too much. Everything out there is just too much for me to be able to get through. And so we wrestle with that, and we doubt ourselves, and we doubt what God can be. And what we need to realize is God keeps His promises. So how are we going to believe how are we going to believe that, that we can trust God, that we can believe God's promises? There's an interesting difference between the times the first batch of spies goes over to the promised land and the second batch. The first batch, they go through and they look at all the good things. They find a cluster of grapes that they've got to have two men carry it between a pole because it's so big. And they bring the pomegranates and the figs and all the produce of the land. And when they come back and you say, it does flow from milk, with milk and honey. It, it just look how good it is. They focused on all, all those physical aspects of things. They looked at things. And the second group of spies, they saw the same things, but what they saw, they also saw walled cities. They saw Jericho that was fortified and shut up and, and there was no way they were going to be able to take it. They saw all those same things. But you know what they, what they heard? Not only what God said, but they heard Rahab when they're in Jericho. Rahab says, I know. I know the Lord has given you this land. And fear has fallen on all of us. And everybody that lives here is melting away because, because of you. We know there's no way that we're going to be able to stand against you. And when they heard that, they didn't go back and say, well, you know, there's a lot of good things, but these people are strong. What they came back with, God can. Let me tell you what God said. Let me tell you what we heard. And, and when we think about believing God's promises, there's the voice that we need to hear, that we need to listen to. Listen to what God says, not listen to our own internal voice. Because how many of us on the inside, no matter what God says, we keep on saying the things why it's impossible. And we need to stop paying attention to that voice and hear what God says to us. What does God say? What has he promised because if God has said it, that's what we need to grab a hold of. What has he given to us that we can know that God is faithful to that? It's not a matter of what other people say. It's not a matter of what we say. There are probably many of us that have people in our lives that can, that can tell us how it's going to be impossible for us. No, you just can't do that. There's no way that you can have that. 
And we need to have them just be quiet and listen to what God says in our lives because God is the one that's going to do it. And what he says ought to matter. Another thing that we need to to pay attention to is what God does. In in chapter 3, early in the morning, it says, Joshua and the Israelites set up from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped over before crossing. So here they are. To get to the other, to the promised land, they've got to cross the Jordan River, which is a flood stage. No easy thing. They're camped out, looking over there, and it'd be easy to say there's no way this can happen. What happens? Joshua tells the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. God's going to show them that they can count on his promises. He's going to show them. And when we think about that aspect of things, because God's going to do amazing things. So what happens? Listen, come here. Listen. Now here is that phrase again. Listen to the words of the Lord, your God. Listen to what God says. This is how you'll know that the living God is among you. As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of the Lord, all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters will be flowing downstream, will be cut off and stand up in a heap. And when all the, and then it does. And when all the kings, the Amorite kings west of Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard about what happens, what happens to them, how the Lord had dried up the Jordan and how they'd crossed over, their hearts melted in fear. They no longer had courage to face the Israelites. If the Israelites would have, would pay attention and see what God was doing, the people in all the land saw what God was doing and they knew that God had given them the land. And for Israel, that's what they need to do. Pay attention to what God's doing because when God does this, He's showing them that they're going to get the land. He's going to keep His promise. Now for us as well, we need to remember that same thing to look at what God has done. If God's going to keep His promises, Look at what he's done in the past. Look at what he's doing. And we can know that God is faithful, that he's going to keep his word. If you ever want to struggle with the idea that can God really change me? Can God ever forgive me no matter what I've done? I can tell you what. We've got all kinds of folks right here this morning that can tell you about how, where they've come from and where God, God has them now. Guaranteed. You may be looking over and say, they're all better than I am. And I can, we can have a bunch of folks tell you, we, we were a lot worse than you are. But God took us from where we were. He forgave us and he's changed our hearts. He's changed our lives. He's changed us in how we live. And when we look at what God can do in the people around us, then we realize if he can do that in them, what can he do in me? When we look at folks who go through all kinds of things and are able to depend on him and keep rest and be at peace and know that God is there with them, we can say, if God can do that in them, what can he do in me? And maybe even we can look back at our own lives and say, I know how God's taking care of me. I can see that. I can see how he's taking care of me. If he's taking care of me in the past, he'll take care of me today. Look at what God has done and we can know that God will keep his promises and will remain faithful. Now, the challenge in believing God's promises is that means we've got to trust him with everything in our lives. It's easy for us this morning to talk about those things, but to live it out is where we really got to step out. And, And that trust is going to say a whole lot. Do you know what the people of Israel, the first thing they did after they crossed over the Jordan River, the water flows back behind them and they're camping in enemy territory right now. They're standing there camped. Do you know what the first thing God has them do? 
They don't sharpen the swords. They don't, they're not arrayed for combat. They don't go make out. You know, the first thing God does is says, okay, now what I want you to do, y'all have been out in the wilderness and you haven't been taking care of business. Part of their covenant is that the men would be circumcised. And so he says, now on this side of the river, why didn't he have them do it on the other side of the river where they'd already overcome everybody else? On the side of the river where they're a hostile territory, they're in hostile territory, God says, now, now, make things right. And if you'll read chapter five, it emphasizes over and over again, the men of military age. The men of military age, over and over and over again. He's not talking about the babies. He's not talking, he, I'm sure all the males, no matter what the age, but he emphasized the ones who are going to do your fighting are about to be made weak. So the whole nation is circumcised and they remain in camp until they were healed. Sitting ducks, all in their weakness, but they knew God was there and they, did they have to worry about anything? No. In trusting God, it means we trust God no matter where, where we are. We may think, here's where we get off on chapter one. We think, be strong and courageous. And we say, I've got to be strong without realizing where our strength comes from. We think, I've got to be strong. Let's be strong in God. Be strong in Christ. It means when I'm weak, when I, when I struggle, the one I need to lean on is the one that can take care of me. And that's my God. And when we trust him, when we believe his promises, it's not based upon our ability to do whatever. It's not based upon our strength. It's not based on us. It's based on God. And when we trust him in our weakness, we'll always point to God as the one that's able to do it. It takes the focus off us and onto him where it belongs. Now, he points this out later on because in Joshua chapter 6, Jericho is their first, first place they've got to take. A city that's got a wall that nobody's going to take that. And you know what the game plan is? Y'all know this story, but realize what God is telling them. God is saying, take your army, take your people, and I want you to conquer this city. How? I want you to walk around it. Now, you take men, swords, spears, bows, arrows, no, slings more than likely. All the weapons they have, they're ready to fight, and God says, I want you to walk. Take a walk. Seven days. Go around the city. On the seventh day, let's make it seven times around. And what happens? March around the city. Do it for six days. Have the, the priests in the front with the horns. On the seventh day, march around the city. Blow the trumpets. And when the trumpets, when you hear the trumpets, give a, a loud shout. And then the wall of the city was collapsed. And the army will go up and everyone straight in. So when they get to Jericho and they, they have this happen, because this is what happens. When this happens, do they come out of that city and they start bragging about how they conquered Jericho? Who do they talk about? Did you see what God did? They were thinking siege engines, I would bet. Everybody that looked at that thought, okay, we can build up, uh, uh, we can build a structure here. We can maybe conquer here. We can do this or that. But for them, they knew that the victory came from God and it wasn't theirs. And, and that is an important point because from then on, every victory they, they did, they would look back and say, God is the one that gave us this land. God is the one that gave us victory. God is the one that provided every step of the way. They could never came, come to the point where I'm the one who did this. We did this. They'd have to say, God did this. 
And when we trust God, that's where we come back to. When we're forgiven, it's not because, look how good I was. God forgave me because of how good I was. That's a contradiction, isn't it? We don't forgiveness. We don't need forgiveness when we're good. We need forgiveness when we've messed up, when we've sinned. And we look to God and realize God is the one. When I've gotten my heart in such a mess that I'm tempted by all kinds of things and I've gotten off off track, when God works in my heart, then I say, look at what God has done in my life. And to trust his promises will always point us back to what God does, what he's done in us and what he can do in us. It's not about us. It's about him. And it comes back to this in, in a lot of ways. When you have somebody make you a promise, Whenever you all hear a politician talk, how much of it do you believe? You all act like we don't have much to trust in most. We wait, don't we? We say, okay, we'll see. You walk on a car lot and you have a salesman come up and make you a big promise. Do you believe it? We don't trust them very far. What if you have somebody who you love deeply and they love you? And they've been with you for a lifetime and they come up to you and they, they make a promise. How much do you trust them? Promises are made sure by the one who makes the promise. Somebody who doesn't have a good track record, we don't believe it. Somebody who's shown to be faithful, who does what they say they will do, we can grab a hold of that. God keeps his promises. He is faithful. What he says he'll do, he does. And we can trust him in every aspect of life. When he says... In Christ, if you let go of what was in your life, if you let go of that life and turn to him, if you admit he's right in everything and calling what you do sin, if, if he's right about who God, who Jesus is, and you admit he's right about all these things, if you trust him by putting on Christ in baptism, God says he'll forgive you. God keeps his promises. If we're willing to admit all along or that we, we've sinned, what, what we've done is wrong, that's what it is. God says this. God says he'll forgive us. He'll keep his promise in all of our lives. God is faithful. Are we willing to trust him even if we're weak? Are we willing to trust him with everything? And maybe this morning you need to respond to trust him completely, being buried with him with Christ in baptism. Maybe that you need to, to turn back and, and put your trust back in him and ask for his forgiveness, to ask for anything that you need. But if we can pray with you and for you, would you let us do that? If you'll come now as we stand and sing.